Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Door, a weekly broadcast that examines what Lutheran Christians believe about God, the world, and us. I'm Pastor Brett Cornelius of Gethsemane Lutheran Church, and I invite you to join us for the next hour. And later, we will 740-383-9944, that's 740-383-WWGH, or on Facebook at the Wittenberg Door, where you can submit your questions live. Please join us now on the Wittenberg Door. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Wittenberg Door. This is Pastor Brett Cornelius of Gethsemane Lutheran Church. We're glad you joined us this morning. Uh, the Wittenberg Door is a call-in program, so we invite your participation. The number is 740-383-9944. That's 383-WWGH. Uh, with me today, as always, is Lee Hall. Good morning. Lee, how are you? Good. And uh, and Sean isn't here today. Sean is recuperating, and uh, and we have Scott Spears with us today. You get so, me today. Yeah. See there. See how that works. <laughs> that's how it works. You're the you're the backup guy. Uh, that's right. <laughs> okay. Well, folks, uh, today we're going to get into our lessons for the coming Sunday, but we're also going to talk uh, about. Um, the catechism, as we've been doing for the last few weeks. Um, now, we had uh, the last the last few weeks, or last four or five weeks, I guess, because we took some time off. Um, the last few weeks, we've done the the first three commandments: uh, "You shall have no other gods." "You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God," and "Remember the Sabbath day." By keeping it holy. Now we we number the commandments the the way uh, historically the Western Church has numbered it. There are other methods of doing it, and and so uh, so if it's one that's not familiar with you, if you if you grew up in uh, Lutheranism or Catholicism, you you understand this is the way we do it. But uh, if you uh, grew up in a Baptist church, maybe a Methodist, you might be asking, well, where is the commandment about graven images, <laughs> right? Uh, so, for instance, you go, maybe maybe you have a, a a poster of the Ten Commandments or a picture of the Ten Commandments up on your uh, wall at home. I've sometimes seen that on people's walls at, in their homes. And, uh, and that's for the way that Reformed churches number the commandments. Uh, that's, that's very prominent. You shall make no graven images, right? Well, Lutherans consider that part of the first commandment: "You shall have no other gods." And uh, so we don't um, we don't think of that as a separate commandment. Remember that when God gives Moses the commandments on Mount Sinai, He doesn't say, "Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods." Commandment number two, right? Uh, he just says the commandments. And later, so we, we learn in Exodus chapter 20, by the way, you'll find the Ten Commandments in the Bible. You'll find them in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. But it's in Deuteronomy chapter 5 where Moses is recounting uh, the uh, event that happened when God gave the commandments to them. It's then that Moses says, God gave us the ten, God gave you the Ten Commandments, right? So this, there we learn it's Ten Commandments, but uh, neither in the text nor at the event itself was there a, 
a numbering by God of the commandments. So, you know, uh, charitably, we Christians <coughs> will number them in different ways for different reasons. And, and uh, of course, Lutherans follow the traditional historic practice of the Western Church and number them the way we do. Uh, so the the first three, you shall have no other gods, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, and remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, are what we call, Lee, the first... Tablet. Yeah, the first table of the law. Remember that the commandments were given on two stone tablets. And, um, and so uh, there's a, really a theological purpose for that. Because the commandments really... Uh, they direct us toward two goals in life, right? We might say uh, they're really commanding us two things. And what is that, Lee? What do, what do the commandments teach us? Our duties to God right. and our duties to fellow man. Right. So uh, the first three commandments, or if you're Reformed, uh, the first four commandments, have to do with our duty to God. What do we owe God? And uh, then the remaining commandments have to do with our duty toward our neighbor. Okay. So uh, we talked about uh, last week, we, last time we talked about the, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And we discussed what it meant really to uh, keep the Sabbath, whether the Sabbath was a day. And we said the Sabbath really is not a day now. The Sabbath is a person. The Sabbath was a Saturday, uh, for all intents and purposes. The Sabbath was on a, a you know Friday evening. The day started in the evening, and uh, and then the, then it lasted in, until the following evening. So, basically, Friday evening and Saturday, as we would as we would think of it. Uh, <clears throat> but suddenly, we find in the New Testament we find Christians worshiping not on the Sabbath as the Jews understood it, but on the first day of the week, on the day that Jesus rose from the dead, and the Christians are gathering together on that day to hear the word and, and to pray and to especially to receive Holy Communion, uh, which was an essential part of uh, uh, early Christian gatherings. That was uh, really probably as the church in the very early days was distinguished from the Jewish synagogue. That was the reason that Christians gathered together in separate assemblies was to take Holy Communion, which they wouldn't have done in a synagogue, right? So, so it, you know, to, to rest, to uh, observe the Sabbath day then, is, is to come to the person who is the Sabbath, to come to Christ. Yes, amen. To believe in Christ and to rest in Christ so that uh, you hear his word, you receive the gifts that he gives. And when you do that, you have observed the Sabbath. That's what it means. And so when Luther explains that commandment, he says, we should fear and love God so that we do not uh, dis uh, despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. So those first three are our are duty to God. Uh, one pastor of ours, the pastor that baptized you and I, the pastor that confirmed you, uh, used to say that it was our impossible duty to God. And why would he say that, Lee? Well, the Ten Commandments aren't uh, aren't something that we can keep because we're sinful. 
Yeah. Because uh, there's nothing that we can offer God that is of any value. Yeah. In fact, if any value, it's a, it's a bad value, according yeah. to Isaiah. All it's always our, tainted with sin. Yeah. All our works, yeah. all the good things that we attempt, are always, they somehow they fall short. They're tainted with sin. Yeah. And so none of us keep God's law perfectly. We're, we're all capable of making excuses. Yeah. But none of those excuses hold any water they, they're <laughs> yeah. of no value to god yeah excuse yeah. you can you can excuse yourself for all kinds of things but god doesn't that doesn't mean god will excuse you is the blame with the commandments themselves no is there anything no. wrong with the commandments? No, the commandments are perfect yeah it's it's me that's not perfect it's yes. humanity that that has failed right, thanks right. to uh, the sin in the garden and so so this really brings up the uh, the point that what are the commandments for? And, you know, most of the time, I think, we grow up, we hear the commandments, and we think, this is what I have to do. And, uh, and of course, this is an expression of, God, of God's will. It's what he wants us to do. It's what is best for us. It's what, uh, not only what pleases him, but what abounds to our good when we do these things. Uh, but really, the, the purpose of these commandments isn't so much to give us directions on how we can obtain eternal life. And I think a lot of people think that's, that's what they think. If I do these commandments, I'll obtain eternal life. And everybody kind of wants to know, well, what's enough? What do I really have to do to get into heaven? Right? And Lee, if we're going to go by the commandments, what do we have to do to get into heaven? We have to be perfect all the time. And not just from now on, perfect yeah. throughout our lives. Yes. From the, our, our first moment. Yeah. Well, we know we've already sinned. All of us have already sinned. That's right. Well, does that mean, uh, for instance, let me see here. Uh, Lee, have you committed murder? Well, I haven't murdered in the sense that I have not killed another human being. Yeah. I I have I I have bad thoughts towards other people. Malicious thoughts. Yep. And yeah. uh, someone cuts me off while I'm driving. I, I, <laughs> I, it's very difficult for me to be charitable towards that person. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, <coughs> this is uh, we, we might we might say to ourselves, "Hey, I've never committed adultery. I've never committed murder." Uh, I've maybe maybe you're the kind of person who's never stole anything. Uh, but what about that time at work when you could have been productive and active and you kind of slacked off? You know, you stood around in the back room because you were you just weren't you just weren't that ambitious that yeah, day. Yeah, and there's right? that there's that excuse we all employ. Well, everybody else is doing it. Right. I right. work harder than they yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. So therefore, you compare yourself to other people. It's much easier that way, right? You really think you're a star athlete when in <coughs> high school you can go out and jump the hurdles at their at their tallest, and then the junior high kids come along and they have to lower those hurdles down, and you you think to yourself, well, you know, I got them beat, right? But who are you comparing yourself to? And so um, the commandments require not only that we do them, but we do them perfectly from the heart, in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. Uh, you know, and so when you 
When you, for instance, when you tear someone down with your words, when you bully them, when you uh, make their life miserable, uh, God considers this an act of murder, right? God considers this a violation of his commandments. You've, you've abused some person. And uh, you've caught, maybe you've caused them physical harm or emotional harm. And so we're guilty. Well, who hasn't in their life committed some act of emotional abuse, right? Teased somebody, uh, you know, and, and, and you know how bad it can feel because people have done it to you. And so uh, every one of us is guilty. And that's why these commandments are called the impossible are impossible duties to God and to man. Because because of our sinful nature, and having nothing to do, the commandments are good, they're pure, they're an, a perfect expression of, of God's will, and yet we find the problem is with us. Uh, because of our sinful nature, because of our, our natures, are turned, we are curved in on ourselves. We, we think mostly about us and about our own happiness. And because of that, we don't think about God and we don't think about our neighbor. And uh, so, so any violation of these commandments uh, is, is a... Here's one thing that uh, the Word says, is that when you've broken one commandment, you've broken them all. Paul in, in, St. Paul in, in Romans chapter 2. He who, he who violates the law is guilty of all of it. And what child has not spoken back to their parent? Right. Yeah, exactly. Which we're going to talk about today, the, the fourth commandment. Well, <coughs> excuse me. So these are Im impossible to keep because of our sinfulness. And so really the main purpose, the main value of the commandments in our lives is that it points out something about us. It shows us a flaw. The commandments are, are like, um, you know, when the doctor, when you got a cough, and the doctor says, I want you to go get an x-ray. I want to see what's going on with you, right? And he wants to see if there's a spot on your lung or pneumonia or there's something. Why are you having this cough, right? Now, the x-ray is not going to cure you. The x-ray is not a regimen for you to get better. But the, the x-ray is going to diagnose you. It's going to show you what the problem is. So primarily, that's really what the commandments are. It's a, it's a diagno diagnostic technique to show us that there's something wrong with us, to show us that we're sinners, and to show us that we need a Savior. And yet there, ha there is someone who has kept the commandments, isn't there, Lee? Yes, amen. Thank, yeah. thank God for Jesus Christ. That's right. So God, God came in the flesh, born of the Virgin Mary, uh, and he lived the perfect life. He kept the commandments. When, when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan, God said of him, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So there is someone who has kept the commandments and kept it perfectly from the heart in his thoughts and words and deeds, who has lived the God-pleasing life. And that one went to the cross and suffered and died for all your violations of God's law. So that, and this is the good news, God is not, <coughs> God is not counting your sins against you. There is, 
uh, no accounting that he is going to uh, bring you before and ask you why you didn't do this or why you didn't do that or why you did this or why you did that. Because the law has been kept and it has been kept in your place. And because of that, you get all you who have faith in Christ get the credit for that law keep so that God treats you even though you haven't kept the commandments God treats you who have faith in Christ as if you have kept the commandments perfectly because you are in Christ and being in Christ you get the credit for everything that Christ has done isn't that wonderful Yes, amen. That's good news. So when we when we think of the commandments, we think of our violations, you know, oftentimes people really get worried about these things. And they worry about the law, they worry about death and hell. And uh, and and we when we look at the law and that's all we look at, we will certainly if we're honest, we will come to the conclusion that yes, that's what we deserve. It's the bad news that points us to the good news. It's it's the bad news that that right that you know uh, if someone is uh, uh, you know they got a little tumor and they go in and they get a biopsy and they find out that the tumor is malignant, right? Now, if if the tumor is benign, if there if there's no cancer there, who is going to undergo chemotherapy? Yeah, it'd be pointless. Nobody. You'd be a fool to do it. Right, uh, but but when you see the disease, when you know you have the disease, then the cure becomes that much more precious to you. Well, folks, the gospel isn't like chemotherapy; it's not going to harm you; it's going to do you good. Uh, but, but you won't hear it. But you won't. But you won't see your need for it unless you have an awareness of who you are apart from Christ. And so what these commandments do is they teach us who we are apart from Christ, and they teach us what we deserve uh, apart from Christ. And they prepare us to to hear the good news about what Christ has done for us. So there's that, our impossible duty to God. And uh, and then the, the next commandments, the next seven commandments, uh, have to do with our impossible duty to man. In other words, what does God require of you what does God want you to do in relationship to your fellow man? Now, most people, I think, would, would pretty much agree with this. And there are exceptions. Uh, there are people who have been raised in homes that, uh, you know, they, they maybe don't have a fondness for their parents or there's some, some broken dysfunction in families where uh, 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 this isn't acknowledged. But for most of us, I would say that who are, who are our closest neighbors? Who are the, the neighbors that are most dear to us? The members of our own household. Yeah, the members of our family. And when we're young, especially, the most dear people to you are your mother and father. Uh, they protect you. They provide for you. They, they keep you. And because of that, you have uh, a duty to them. So your your nearest neighbor, your closest neighbor, is at first mom and dad. It becomes wife or husband later. Uh, later than that, it becomes son or daughter that you uh, entrust yourself to and and uh, uh, have that relationship with. But uh, primarily, this is a very important relationship. This this relationship of 
uh, parent to child, father or mother to a son or daughter. And uh, because of that, the, uh, the parents are in a certain position toward us that nobody else is. Uh, the parents are unique. Father and mother are unique among all our neighbors in the world. Because why, Lee? Uh, they're responsible for us. Yeah. They brought us into existence, we might say. Uh, you know, we know God brought us into existence, but it, yeah, we, uh, we, we could say it, he did it through the efforts of our parents, <laughs> to put it uh, euphemistically, right? Uh, so our parents are really our procreators, we call them. And as procreators, they are the nearest thing in our lives to God. The nearest expression that we have in our lives to God is, is our mother or our father. Because they, through them, God, God brought us into existence. They provide for us the way God provides for humanity, right? They protect us and keep us. And so, uh, so we have a duty to them that we, we don't have to, uh, to others. And so when uh, we hear the commandment, honor your father and mother, and Luther explains the commandment, we should fear and love God so that we do not anger our, neighbor, our, our, our parents <coughs> and other authorities, but honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. Um, these are duties to our, our parents. These are duties to our procreators. We <laughs> procreate sounds uh, almost like uh, science fiction or something, doesn't it, when you, you refer to them as procreators. Hello, procreator, you know, when you greet your, <laughs> when you greet your mom or dad. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, you know it, it's true, though. So we owe them love and honor, honor them. We owe them our service. We owe them our obedience. Uh, we owe them our love, and uh, and we are are responsible to cherish them. Right now, I think it, some of this is kind of just this natural thing that happens in the bonding of parents to children, the uh, the cherishing of our parents, and you know you go through certain stages of your life, your teenage years especially, when uh, cherishing your parents. <laughs> Isn't really the, uh, the you know the most prominent feature of your relationship with them, right? Uh, you have these moments in a, in a household as as the child is growing and the child is assuming responsibility for itself slowly, right? When there can even be confrontation between it is confrontation between parent and child, right? Well, and. Yeah, in, the, in this age, we don't see a lot of recognition of honor. Yeah. In any form. Yeah. Towards towards government or towards parents. Well, you know, we're we're catechized that way. Um, not in the church, of course. Uh, normally, we think of cate catechesis happens in the church instruction, but the catechesis happens in the culture as well, right? Uh, so, for instance. Children who are sitting down and watching TV, and they turn on the TV Sunday nights at 8 p.m., and what do they see? The Simpsons, right? <laughs> and you look at the family structure within the Simpsons, and who is the father? 
in that in that context. You know, the father's kind of a boob. You know, the father's uh, not too bright. You know, you have bright little Lisa, and uh, and she's you know reasonable and sensible, and and uh, Homer who is who's kind of a jerk, right? Now this plays out not only in that sitcom, but it plays out in a number of, and and in all these things, really, uh, people are being taught how to relate to their parents, or uh, maybe there, you know, there's that reinforcement that happens because it happens by nature that you there's a rebellion, there's you know uh, questioning of authority, so questioning of your parents. Uh, all these things happen by nature because of who we are, because of our sinful nature, our fallen nature, that we inherit from our parents, Adam and Eve. But all these things are in, in, reinforced in, in, in our culture, and, and we are instructed to kind of uh, think, this is natural, this is normal. You know, you don't talk, uh, how does Bart talk to Homer, right? Uh and this is funny. It's you know, it's uh, an occasion for laughter. That Bart doesn't honor father, right? In ancient Israel, they uh, would take him to the gate. Yeah. And stone him. Yeah. I think. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, probably. I think uh, a disobedient child would be uh, probably not even in ancient Israel. It was probably something more than. Bart smarting off to Homer. Right. Well, but, uh, a drunken or a glutton. Or yeah, Not yeah. necessarily a child. This, yes. This is a young man. Right. Oh, and that's a great point, isn't it? Because where do our duties to our parents, when do they stop? Well, some would say when, when your parents pass away. Yeah. But, the, but that's kind of where the honor thing comes in. Yes. Because that's, you, you are always going to be their child. Yes. And you should always honor their, their memory. And serve them. Right. Right. Uh, uh, you know, when, uh, when parents, when, when you're young, when your parents take care of you. They change your diaper. They feed you. They, you know, make sure you're in a safe environment. Well, then the, the child assumes responsibility eventually and moves out and has a family of his, his or her own. And then the parents, what begins to happen to the parents after a while? They, they get older, and, uh, and the effects of age start catching up with them, and they often need to be taken care of themselves. And primarily, who does the taking care of in society? Well, it should be the child. Yeah. yeah normally and historically, traditionally, it's been children that have taken care of parents. Now, we, we also have this thing, you know, <coughs> uh, uh, programs within our society that, that uh, attempt to kind of uh, eliminate or uh, abrogate that, that system um, uh, where children aren't necess- you know, necessarily responsible for the parents. But historically and traditionally, that's, that's been the case. They're responsible for the parents. I remember when my grandmother suffered a stroke and she could no longer live on her own. Um, well, my mother comes from a family of 16, so this is, uh, you know, this is a little easier for them, I think. But uh, everyone took a turn 
going in, and my mother and her sisters, and uh, even my uncle's wives would take turns, and they would go in, and they would stay with my grandmother one night a week. My my mother went in on Wednesdays, I think it was, and 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 she would spend the night with her mother, and take care of her mother whenever she needed, and uh, and that was that was how people were cared for, uh, historically. And so, uh, this is a a duty that we owe. And 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 when my when my dad's mother became sick, she had heart problems, heart failure, and she also couldn't live. Th- she did not get, neither of my grandmas, grandmothers were sent to a home. When my grandmother Cornelius became sick, my mother, her daughter-in-law, went in and stayed with her one night a week. And, uh, and that was, you know, nobody ever thought that was odd or, you know, uh, out, of, out of sorts. It was just the thing to do. It's what you did. Yeah, nowadays it's not quite that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and, and let's let's keep in mind too that we, uh, this is not a generational conflict. Sin has always been there, and there's always been this this uh, thing of we're not going to, you know, I, I I don't owe them anything. I don't want anything to do with them. Well, and that starts early uh, too. And, and that starts and it starts early. It does. Yeah. Uh, so uh, every generation has had these had these conflicts and had these problems. Yeah, for Otherwise, example, the, the commandment wouldn't have been there. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, we see the, the the care that Jesus had for the widow of Nain, yeah. whose only son right. had had, uh, had died. Right. But we also see him recounting the uh, story of the prodigal son, who yeah. pretty much yeah. did what people today would do. And That's right. Took off and spent all, the, all of their... Yeah. Spent the inheritance. Totally dishonored his parents. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you have uh, you have this commandment that teaches you this, and uh, this is this is the way really that society is happiest when children take care of their parents in older year, in in uh, you know when the when the parents are older when uh, when parents in the young years take care of their children. Uh, and in return, children honor, obey, serve, and cherish uh, their mother and father. Now, you mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, not just mother and father, but who? Uh, anyone who's in authority. Yeah. Who you should recognize as as being the responsible person. Yes. For your job or in the government. or Who are taking care of you. Who are helping? Uh, for instance, a teacher at school is someone who who um, has that kind of input in your life. They're helping you develop as a person. Yeah, factually though, you you, you have to learn this at home, and that's yeah. why so many teachers have trouble. Yeah, is that their parents uh, haven't taught them to be to respectful, respectful when they yeah. go to school. They have no honor. They have right. no honor for their parents. They're right. certainly not going to have any honor for their teacher well that that's true that's true but uh, so it, it, uh, in, a, in a sense then teachers are in the position of parents uh, really uh, it used to be thought of this way as well in society you know a uh, hundred years ago the school was an extension of the family now it seems to be that the school is an extension of government right but initially the school was an extension of family so that Teachers played the part and, and, and filled the role of, of mother and father 
when you were with them. And so you had that, there was, that was taught. That yeah, sense the, of, the authority was transferred when you that's were put right. in your care. That's right. So, uh, so respect and honor were due to uh, teachers at school, for instance. Uh, what are some other authorities? Well, uh, you know, I like going through these things with my catechism kids. Uh, you have uh, police officers, right? So when you get pulled over by the police, they're, they're uh, fulfilling a, a, almost a parental function in society. They're uh, filling the, the function of protection, right? And so there's an honor that's due to a police officer when you're, when you're pulled over. You, uh, uh, you turn the radio down, you put the cigarette out, right? You put put the smartphone now. That's right. You, you stop texting. You get your wallet out. You get your driver's license ready. You get your insurance card ready. Your registration. And when the officer comes to the window, you you're ready to hand him these things because uh, you know you he, he's an officer of the law, and there's a certain amount of respect that's due him in that office. Or there uh, should be. Or there should be, right. And much, uh, not all, because we know that there are people who abuse their authority, just as there are parents who abuse their children. There are, uh, you know, there's bad apples out there. Uh, but, you know, uh, much of what seems to be currently in the news uh, with, the, you know, kind of the... the uh, um, different movements in society right now is due to a kind of a the police officers the authority figures in 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 our society aren't seen as people who are worthy of respect and worthy of honor and it that that it's that attitude itself becomes a source of problems you know the writing that takes place in different times in the last few years is because people have decided they're, they're not going to show honor to the office. Even if there's a bad person in that office who does something illegal or does something immoral to uh, someone who's innocent, for instance, uh, even given that, uh, the office is still worthy of respect. Right? Yeah. Uh, now, let me ask you this, because... Um, what is the ultimate authority in our society? Well, it should be God. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, we, we understand from a um, uh, second table of the law perspective, what is the ultimate authority? In the United States. In, in, in the neighbor, right, yes. It's, it's the Constitution. It's the Constitution. That's right. And so uh, as citizens, you can even hold... Legislators, uh, executives, governors, presidents, accountable when uh, when they uh, do something against the Constitution, because that's really the ultimate authority for us. Kind of a unique. We're we're kind of in a unique place in history, because that's never been the case in in any other country yeah, at any other time. It's always been a king. It's always emperor. been. Some, yeah, there's always been really kind of a tyrant somewhere. Except in and ancient Israel. Except in ancient Israel. But even there you had judges. So it was, it was a really, they were nations of men. Even, uh, well, you might say you have the law in ancient Israel, which was supreme. 
but for the most part you have you have nations where you have uh, uh, the nations are composed of men here it's the law that's over men right and so uh, so we do have some recourse that, that uh, we have been blessed with in our country which is all the more reason to what honor our country and to be uh, to serve and obey our country's laws because God has blessed us in this unique situation that we have uh, really this wonderful arrangement where men are, you know, by, by men I mean people, citizens, are treated as, as um, uh, self-governing bodies, right? It's never been the case in any other country. We're very fortunate in this country. So. Well, uh, who, who of us really keeps this commandment? Like all the other commandments, who hasn't, who hasn't said something awful to their parents? Who hasn't disobeyed a parent, even if it's in, in secret? I, my father was, uh, he was, uh, you know, kind of a tough guy, right? And um, I never felt comfortable growing up. I never really felt comfortable uh, openly challenging him. But I remember many, on many occasions, when he would say what I was to do, uh, you know, I would disobey him, not defiantly, but I would kind of do my own thing, right? So in one way or the other, we all kind of fail at this commandment. And uh, and so we find here that uh, what, what, we got this little tumor called sin, right? And that we need a, a cure for this this sin. And we find that cure. We find the... the uh, um, hope for our sin in the person of Jesus who came and honored father and mother in our place so that so that we have this perfect record of obedience that God accounts us as having kept and we have someone who has taken all our disobedience upon himself and carried it to the cross suffered and died under the wrath of God for us because of our sins and our failures and rose again on the third day so that he could proclaim this good news to us Amen. And, uh, and bring us to life and salvation. So, very good. Well, uh, again, what have we done? We don't really have time for all the lessons, but I, have, I am going to have you read, uh, if you will, have you read our gospel lesson for the coming Sunday? Right. And we'll just offer a few thoughts on that before we conclude the program. All right, this is uh, for the third Sunday in Lent, and it's from the English Standard Version, ESV. And it starts with Luke eleven fourteen. Now he was casting, this is referring to Jesus, now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking him for a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household fails. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons... Uh, by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? 
therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has come out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. And it goes and brings seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. As he said this, these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And, uh, and this is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks, and, be, uh, yeah, thanks be to Christ. So uh, this is an interesting lesson for two reasons. The first part of this lesson is Jesus, of course, he's casting out a demon. And there is this uh, false accusation. Uh, what the enemies of Christ are saying about him is he's, he's doing these kind of these wonderful things. Uh, releasing this poor man from something that has bound him for however long. Uh, but he's released this man from this uh, terrible uh, disease, uh, this terrible condition, and he's done it by uh, Beelzebul. In other words, there's something evil at work in Jesus. There's something that's negative. Uh, and this is the accusation that's that's being laid against Christ our Lord. Well, when Jesus responds, he says, "A kingdom divided itself against a kingdom divided against itself uh, uh, is going to fall. Right? A house divided against itself cannot stand." Uh, this is where, by the way, in American history, this was uh, uh, Lincoln's famous speech. This is the text upon which this famous speech of Lincoln was was based. Uh, just before the Civil War, the the famous House Divided speech that that uh, that Lincoln gave in uh, 1858 or nine when he was running for senator, and um, uh, uh, but the point that that Christ is making here is that it is uh, uh, it is the activity of evil to bind people to make them sick, to bring these horrible conditions upon them. And, and whenever you see, by the way, whenever you see this happening in society, you see some poor child in a wheelchair or uh, someone who is walking around with a cane or uh, you, know, you see a, a blind man with a dog. These are all horrible conditions that have happened as a result of the fall. As a result of our first parents who disobeyed God and brought sin and death and dysfunction and disease, uh, really introduced these things into the world and into our lives. And so when we look around and we see the suffering in the world uh, that is a result of that, it's, uh, it's distressing to see it, right? Uh, and so what Christ is what Christ is really doing here is he's, he's saying, my mission, what I came to do is to uh, reverse the power of sin. Uh, 
and to break the power of sin. He uses the analogy of a strong man who has everything safe in his house. Now, who, are, who is the strong man in this analogy? Sin. Yeah, the strong man is sin, Satan, right? Who, uh, through sin, has captured us, has bound us, and, and all of us have some condition that we suffer with, or will have, right? Maybe we don't recognize it now, but there is, you know, all of us are going to be introduced to suffering. It's a normal part of life because of what sin has done. So in death, everyone's going to die, right? which is the worst thing that sin has done, uh, death and hell. And yet, so Jesus comes, when he comes, he comes not as a, a member of that kingdom of Satan, but he comes in hostility and against this power of Satan to break this power of Satan in the lives of people. He says, um, uh, if I do these things by the, by the kingdom, of, he says, by the finger of God, he says, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And that's exactly what has happened in Christ's ministry. In Christ's ministry, we see the kingdom of God coming upon the world. The kingdom of God that continues to come into the world as the church goes out at Christ's command and baptizes and uh, distributes holy communion where forgiveness and life are offered where uh, the power of Satan and the power of sin and death is broken in the lives of people and God releases and frees them. And so we see this the activity of Christ is to break the power of Satan and, and, to, break, and to, to completely undo all his works. Christ's kingdom is against the kingdom of Satan. Now, the second part of that lesson is when the woman says, "Blessed are those, or blessed is the uh, the 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 uh, how does he put this? Bore you the womb the that bore you and you the nursed. breast at which you nursed, right? And and Jesus says, uh, "Blessed rather are the ones who hear the word of God and keep it." Before that, he says um, that uh, when the when the spirit goes out of a person, when the evil spirit goes out of a person, it passes through waterless places, looking for a place to abide, and then it goes back to this place where uh, that has been uh, that it has been expelled from, and he and it brings back seven more. Really, what, that's kind of a warning. He said, Jesus is really teaching us that when when he and his kingdom have come and have delivered us and blessed us, we can't just remain kind of neutral, right? He who he who gathers with me, uh, how does this? He was with me. Is uh, how does he put that again? He that is not against me is with me, or how? <laughs> whoever is not with me is, is not against with me, me. Is against me. In other whoever does not gather with me scatters. That's right. You can't be neutral about Christ. And so, what do we do? That we we have to fill that void. We can't be neutral. We have to hear the word of God and keep it. Right. What does it mean to keep it? It means it means to believe it. It means to not let go of it, to trust in it, and to rely on it, to hear it. By the not, way. not not to stick it on the shelf someplace. That's right. That's right. And not to ignore it when it's being preached or when it's being offered. Right. So, well, folks, we thank you for being with us today. That's the end of our broadcast. Uh, we uh, want to remind you that the Wittenberg Door replays on Sunday morning at nine. 12 a.m. and Wednesday evening at 7:12 uh, p.m. and so we invite you to to tune in again if you 
only caught a portion of the program. Also, if you don't have a church home, we invite you to, to worship with us at Gethsemane Lutheran Church, 219 East Church Street, Sunday mornings at uh, 10.30 a.m. and uh, Saturdays at 4.30. And we'll see you back again next week on the Wittenberg Door. Yeah. What do you want to see happen?